Hey, welcome to the Gentle Rebel podcast, where we talk about navigating life's harsher edges with a spirit of compassionate creativity. I'm Andy Mort, I'm a songwriter and creativity coach, and I love exploring the power that gentleness has in changing our world from the inside out. I want to say from the outset that, well, I want to apologise. Um, I'm going to try and stay a bit further back from the microphone than I maybe normally do. Uh, I'm recovering from quite a, it's been an intense kind of experience of COVID over the past um, two weeks, over two weeks now, as I'm recording this, I, it's it's hit me hard. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm kind of coughing and spluttering my way through um there's a there's a chance i can always feel when i'm talking i can feel the the kind of cough just tickling up <laughs> through my chest so I will, there we go i will try and um eradicate most of that uh, most of that noise and remove um anything that that sounds particularly just disgusting to to be sort of you know thrown down your ear holes so uh yes but i apologize excuse me um that is that's the situation and there's nothing i can do about it um so in this episode we're going to explore um change we're going to look at it's kind of the first of three types of change that i want to look at in the coming weeks um and we're going to look at embracing change first this idea of what it means to embrace change in life the other two are going to be instigating change and absorbing change, and this all sort of fits with um, with what we're looking at in the haven over the, the coming um, weeks. And yeah, it, it's it, it's been something I've not really thought about it from these three perspectives before as we've looked at change. Um, but it, it's been something that's on my mind at the moment, and I'm really interested to consider the way that these three responses to change have a, a bearing on our overall well-being and our relationship within ourselves with one another and with the world around us. So we're going to yeah, start with, with this sort of fundamental premise that whether you believe in it or not, change comes. <laughs> change is real. It's one of life's um, real inevitabilities. And we have the choice to embrace the inevitable change of life or to resist it. Sometimes it's not so much a conscious choice. It's not something that we're thinking about on the surface of life, but it's this kind of underlying script that we might follow, that we might live by without really thinking about it. So how do we embrace it when time changes things from one season to the next? Perhaps you feel particularly aware of the shifts through the passage of time as you move between seasons of life maybe you're experiencing it in quite a intense or very kind of visceral real way at the moment we cannot prevent the change that comes from time doing its thing but we can learn to gently release any anxious resistance any resentment that we might feel towards that happening because it doesn't really serve us (laughs) in any um, kind of helpful or healthy or meaningful way we can embrace the changes that we know are coming. We might not like them, but these transitions come as time passes. We can be sure of that. So how do we prepare for? How do we manage? How do we even use the byproducts of time moving on, of aging, of things like these processes that happen as part of all of that, you know, occurring, all of that natural um, passage of time? 
as an opportunity to put our best foot forwards. As I say, we cannot prevent the change that comes from this, but we can learn to gently release the anxious resistance that we might feel towards it. And that's what I want to do a little bit of through this episode as we explore how to embrace change as part of life, even when we find the idea of it uncomfortable. This is an invaluable tool to have in our toolkit because it gives us processes to keep moving and also to filter and to contextualize the changes that emerge as we spend more time alive, really. It's not just about changing our relationship with the changes we can expect as we grow older and as our lives evolve, but also how we hold the changes that have happened through our lives so far, recognizing where we are now as as part of a story of becoming. This is a waypoint where we are right now, made possible by where we've been. And what we do with where we are will have an impact on how we show up in future seasons. We have an obsession in the modern world, don't we, with fighting time, fighting natural processes and the movement of the seasons. And I want to ponder in this episode what could happen if we maybe surrender this need to control, to fight, to dominate nature. The dawn signals the emergence of the sun on the horizon. It's coming whether we wish it to arrive or not. Likewise, a few hours later, the sun will disappear and the dusk will take us into the night. To wish for the day during the night and the night during the day is to waste our energy and our emotion on unchangeable inevitability. We waste a lot of energy on things we cannot change and we neglect so many of the things we can. We might also neglect the slow and steady becoming of our lives. Life is a picture painted over time, stroke by stroke. It evolves through phases. It doesn't all emerge at once. There are moments that feel clunky. They feel hard to decipher. And there are times when everything seems to just find its form. And we might stand back and say, ah, there it is. That makes sense. As I was preparing for this episode, I found an old post that I wrote uh, ages ago. And I was talking about the feeling that you get or or that I get when someone or a group of people speak about somebody that that you've not yet met. And they might say like, oh, you've got to meet them. They're they're so brilliant. They're so funny. Uh, They tell stories of what this person's like and and all of that, like regaling anecdotes and all this kind of stuff. And then you meet the person and you're like, oh, they're not quite what I was expecting. They were made to sound like this huge personality, this larger than life, almost impossible person guaranteed to blow your mind. But then when you meet them, it's like, oh, they're just quite normal. And there's something quite relieving about that, uh, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know about if this is a, a common thing or just peculiar to me, but I, like, I often feel intimidated by the idea of someone before I've met them, if they're talked about like that. But when a picture is painted of someone, it's often the amalgamation of years of maybe kind of growing up with that person, uh, stories of stories, uh, these these things that get exaggerated, the purport, they get sort of blown out of proportion. Uh, things get added to these stories and every, this, this kind of huge expectation is created. 
because like everything is just brought into one bubble of uh, 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 of storytelling of like the of expectation and the thing that i realized is that experiences don't happen all at once the funny stories that we tell are rarely anything more than spontaneous events that make sense within their context and this is the same for life itself someone else's life can look remarkable on paper it can sound remarkable when eulogized about at some sort of celebratory event or after they die at their funeral but life can only happen moment by moment and we can only do that through the window of time that we have that time moves forward that time runs out it's not like some people have an endless supply and the rest of us just sort of you know get old and disappear we all get old and disappear um right that's as bleak as this episode is going to get i promise uh well i hope uh i want this to be an uplifting hopeful you know uh, uh, an episode that helps you fall in love with where you are right now and what's coming next even as you get older because you're getting older because you're getting wiser because you've already got so much to show for the things that have filled your changing evolving life up until this point if we can embrace change as it comes through time's passing, we can build a perspective on the things we love and lose that means that we can grieve in healthy and helpful ways rather than getting stuck in loops and restorative nostalgia, which is something I will go into shortly. So let's start with the type of change I'm talking about. What do I mean when I say we should embrace change? So there are a few things that we might consider when we're uh, talking about embracing change, a few types of change that we might think about embracing. Um, the, the, I think the place to start is age, which is the obvious one. It's the big obvious one. It's a difficult thing to hold for many of us. It can be painful to feel the years slipping through our fingers. This is something we feel often from quite an early age. At least I did. You know, the constant sense of, losing chances that come once you get over a certain threshold. I think our society and culture has a huge responsibility with this. We hold age in a really weird, unhealthy way, either going over the top with people when they're young and making that the story, or doing the same with people when they're unusually old. And we have some kind of novelty attraction with that and use it as a value judgment that we place on someone's place in a particular role or position. I wonder why age matters to us so much. I don't think it's necessarily a natural thing to be preoccupied by. I wonder if it's a product of the way that we've organised and structured ourselves and society. But it impacts our relationship with change massively. Age has become a point of insecurity in many contexts for many people. Something we don't talk about or we're ashamed of. We constantly try to fight it. I mean, like we've got anti-aging creams, for goodness sake. How do they work? Like, why is anti-aging the thing that we choose to market? That's a symptom of a weird society. If the cream makes your skin soft and smooth and like healthy and like, I don't know, nice, whatever, then great. Like it's soft and smooth cream. Like lovely. Market it like that. Why, why is anti-aging 
this thing. So it's no wonder we're afraid to embrace change if change is judged so harshly by our collective society. It's really an act of rebellion, I think, to feel okay and to embrace the changes that come from ageing, even though this happens to everyone. It's something we all have to kind of embrace, come to terms with. Do we allow other people to age naturally? Do we embrace what can at times feel like quite an overwhelming process of grief to watch people that we know and love get older, especially when we've known them in their earlier years? It's a similar grief to seeing icons and public figures that maybe we grew up with uh, becoming older and dying as well. Embracing this is not just about writing it off with a passive blasé attitude, but it's more about allowing ourselves to grieve the natural processes of time passing, to accept rather than resist, and to use that grieving process as a conduit of reflection, of gratitude, of wisdom. The second aspect of change that I think we do well to embrace is the evolution of our belonging. Um, and belongings, uh, the things that we belong to, the things that belong to us. For example, communities. Maybe you've experienced the evolution of a community that you've been part of. Um, however it is right now is not how it will stay. That's a guarantee. Um, relationships change. Uh, rifts might develop between people. Visions might be different from person to person. People will drift in, people will drift out. And certain habits and practices and rituals and traditions will grow tired while new ones will emerge. And if we resist and resent these things, this kind of change can become the beginning of the end. Whereas if we embrace it, we can allow a community to ebb, to flow, to dwindle, to grow however it needs to. The second evolution of belonging is our relationship with changing products. There are two sides to this. The novelty wears off, instigated by boredom or new releases that make the thing old. And also for those products that get updated and adapted, the change that comes from this weird contingent part of our system towards tweaking and growth that ruins many good things. It happens with many social media platforms, for example, the overcomplicating of simple concepts and the mess that comes from trying to make something do too many things it wasn't originally designed to do. Embracing change is about understanding the processes that are inevitable beneath the surface. Our adaptation to products that were once cutting edge and novel, the way we absorb things into our everyday life, isn't something we can prevent. But we can recognise what's going on when it happens. And we can recognise the fact that, you know, if we're looking with excited envy and desire at something that we don't have right now, we can rest assured that however amazing it looks right now, it will fall prey to the same process in the future. It will change. Our relationship with it will change. And the new versions of it will leave us dissatisfied with its limits. It's the same with many of our personal relationships. Change will occur. As we grow and develop as individuals, as time moves on and as we grow closer or drift apart, how things are don't guarantee or dictate how things will be. It takes intentional work to keep moving within the inevitable change that takes place through a relationship and also to recognise different states in the development of relationships. Like I said about novelty in relation to how we hold products, it's the same with how we hold people. 
Do we embrace the fact that things will change? Certain novelties will wear off. Other depths will make themselves known. Or are we seeking an impossible to maintain feeling? Embracing change is about embracing the natural development and growth that occurs between people within relationships. The change itself is a conversation, a partnership, a relationship. It requires awareness and observation and to not resist or resent these natural shifts, but to listen to them and to intentionally choose what to do with what you hear, what you see, what you notice, and to make those choices from an empowered and an informed place rather than out of fear. And education and learning is also a site of embracing change. There's an episode of Rick and Morty when Jerry is creating a solar system model with Morty and he starts to add Pluto. Morty tells him um, that Pluto is no longer a planet. And when Jerry confirms this to be true, he resists it. He learned that Pluto was a planet in third grade um, and refuses to believe anything else. I, I, I really love this episode. But that particular moment is such an interesting observation of our resistance to change that is often born in the surety that we attach to what we believe we know about things, usually because we've learned it at an early age and it becomes this kind of point of truth in our lives. The truth is embracing change is also about understanding that a lot of what we know, what we think is true will be refuted and it will be built on in the future. The books we read are not the be all and end all. They're not full of lasting, um, lasting truth. Do we hold fast without flexibility, like Jerry, refusing to be open to anything that questions our understanding of how things are? And in an active sense, do we intentionally embrace learning things that we don't already know? Embracing change is a bit like a muscle in this sense. We have to use it to grow it. And when we grow it, we're able to move within the natural ebbs and flows of time's passing. Because again, a natural part of time passing through the hands of humanity is that we will discover and uncover things we didn't know before and we will question and we will disprove things that we used to be certain about. Embracing is about holding all of these things with gentleness, not to grab the new knowledge as if it's the new irrefutable fact, but to see it as part of this story, this journey, this ever-present unfolding. Work is another thing that evolves. Embracing change is about recognising that within organisations and companies things shift. The way we resist or embrace change might depend on what the change is. There are definitely appropriate moments to resist change. But it's about picking those battles mindfully, wisely, intentionally. Also within the context of our career, it's about embracing our own professional desires and development to be aware of what that looks like and to move with it. Our evolution in work might be outside of our employment. It might be embracing change as we work on things that matter to us in the evenings, at the weekend, whenever it might be. It's likely that changes will happen to us and around us in workplaces and in the world. We can't expect everything to be the same tomorrow as they are today. Embracing is about anticipating and rolling with change rather than fearing and rejecting it. To become who we are, to become, to evolve. It's not neither good nor bad, it just is, it's a fact. Everything and everyone is in a constant state of becoming, whether we believe it or not. 
We're always becoming. We never fully arrive. Within a single acorn is the possibility of an entire oak tree. A whole oak tree is inside that tiny little seed. That's pretty mad when you think about it. And it's the same with everything. Human beings, me, you, everyone we know. The entire possibility of who we are was in that tiny little egg when we were conceived. The possibility of all we have become and are continuing to become. Out of that moment in space and time we have emerged and we are emerging. Every aspect of our life is like that acorn. It can't remain an acorn forever. And once it starts growing, it never stays in one phase for long. It changes, but it remains the oak tree. John Allen Paulos says, Uncertainty is the only certainty there is. And knowing how to live with insecurity is the only security. We don't have to enjoy change to embrace it. In fact, we need to embrace it in order to really hold it to account and to question it. It's not about giving all change a free pass, which is what resistance to change often does. So often, rejection or resistance to change takes the shape of a Luddite where the change is not understood or observed. The person rejecting it loses their ability to critique because they don't know what it is that they're critiquing. It's necessary to question change but we can only do it effectively if we embrace change as a fact of life. So the next thing I want to think about is what embracing change makes possible. Hope and hopefulness. When we allow ourselves to see things as they are, we can find the light and the truth in things, even if the world has moved on from how it was. In this sense of embracing change, hopefulness plays a big part. C.R. Snyder referred to hopefulness as the perceived capability to derive pathways to desired goals and motivate oneself via agency thinking to use those pathways. If we live within a spirit of hope, we can be resilient in the face of change and we can also be intentional and active in response to the change that happens in life, even when we don't like it. In their book Active Hope, Joanne Macy and Chris Johnston give two meanings to this word hope they say the first involves hopefulness where our preferred outcome seems reasonably likely to happen but they write if we require this kind of hope before we commit ourselves to an action our response gets blocked in areas where we don't rate our chances well so this kind of hope relies on favorable outcomes and then they describe the second meaning of hope as about desire when you're asked about the kind of world you long for you might describe something that you yearn for so much it hurts they say it's this kind of hope that starts our journey knowing what we hope for and what we'd like or love to have happen it's what we do with this hope that really makes the difference passive hope is about waiting for external agencies to bring about what we desire active hope is about becoming active participants in the process of moving towards our hopes and, where we can, realising them. Active hope, in this sense, is a practice. So embracing change is built around active hope. It is a practice, recognising that there are many things that won't be as we want them or like them. There will be changes that occur that we wish wouldn't happen. But as we embrace this, we also embrace our personal agency and participation in the process of becoming. Hope doesn't exist 
in a vacuum. Hopefulness is learned from hopeful people, those who have a clear notion of where they want to go. They're aware of how to get there and they believe in their ability to get there. When we spend time with hopeful people, we learn to be actively hopeful, setting intentions, planning routes forwards, recognising our own ability to affect the change that we would love to see. And the great thing is it's never too late to cultivate this kind of hope. Hopeful people often share some characteristics. They know what matters in terms of a vision for the future and the values that drive them. Macy and Johnston say that we start from where we are by taking in a clear view of reality, acknowledging what we see and how we feel. Second, we identify what we hope for in terms of the direction that we'd like things to move or the values that we'd like to see expressed. And third, we take steps to move ourselves or our situation in that direction. And since active hope doesn't require optimism, we can apply it even in areas where we feel hopeless. I really like this. I find this so encouraging. Hopeful people don't give up when things don't go to plan. They're dedicated to finding alternative routes towards their goals, alternative pathways forwards. Hopeful people don't pin their hopes on external forces or outcomes. They take responsibility for their own response to disappointment. They don't allow cynicism to beat them and they know that they always have a choice that can lead in a better direction. This idea of agency. Every human has the ability to change the world in small and incremental ways. When you embrace hopefulness, you understand this truth. You embody this truth. You see the small things as the most important things because they add up into the big things that have the deepest roots. In another old blog post that I had uh, that I stumbled across, I'd written about the question, what purpose is your attitude serving? It was something that I actually had written above my desk for a long time. What purpose is your attitude serving? It's a reminder that how we are is always serving something beyond this moment, beyond what it might seem like it's doing. How is my attitude impacting and infecting the world around me? Is it leading to the kind of change that I want to see more of in my life? Am I embracing or am I resisting something? And what impact does this have? How is my kind of uh, my attitude how is my mindset how is my behavior infecting the world around me many of us have the uncanny ability and willingness to adopt the role of victim in a world that never seems to give us a break but the past is gone yes it might have been better but what good is it doing us to constantly lament that thing that has passed Gauging the state of our attitude is important. Is it breeding creativity or is it breeding destruction? The only real logical choice is to accept that things are how they are and then to decide, you know, what we're going to do with that. So what else does embracing change make possible? Depth. 
We can step into new levels, new stages of growth and development in ourselves, in our relationships, in our work. When we allow change to be, we build on what has been before. Rather than living on the surface and at the level of how things appear to be, we can embrace what's going on deep beneath the surface. The kind of change that comes from time is wise, it's deep, it's expansive, it's gentle, self-assured and confident. Resisting change is the opposite. It clangs and stresses, it contracts and tightens. Clarity and vision. When we embrace the change that happens as part of time moving forward, we can create and adapt our vision in accordance with our deep underlying values. Richard Rohr said, We do not think ourselves into new ways of living. We live ourselves into new ways of thinking. This is a really interesting thing to ponder. Embracing change isn't just something we do in our minds. It dances with how we approach our lives. We live our way into new ways of thinking and our thinking allows us to hold change in a new way. When we embrace change, we gain clarity in who we are and what matters to us. This then feeds our ability to hold change expansively and gently. Our best work. When we relinquish the power of trying to replicate, imitate, return to the past, we're free to build on it and create something completely new with our lives. This is linked with that idea of hopefulness as well. This sense of belief that our best work is ahead of us. We're not limited to what has been before. This is all just a prelude to what is still to come. You know, if change is inevitable, then there are going to be unexpected opportunities as part of that process as we move forwards. And perspective and wisdom. Finally, when we embrace change, we're better able to connect dots of meaning in and around our lives to see what matters And to see what doesn't and to realise that things take time to grow. Things take time to develop. We are where we are because of everything that has gone before. Now, where can we get to next? And how can we use our perspective and wisdom to support others as they do the same? We are part of a much bigger story. We're not the hero. We're part of a beautiful ensemble. We've already touched on some of the risks of resisting the change that we're talking about here. Specifically, there are some things that we might end up cultivating if we constantly resist and constantly reject and resent the natural change that comes from the passing of time. For example, childish immaturity, a sense of clinging to childhood as a crutch and using things and people in ways that uh, maybe we did as children or maybe a child would. If we fear change like ageing, we're unable to see clearly the enjoyable and the valuable aspects of moving into different seasons of life. We might gravitate towards regressive habits and behaviours in an effort to feel like we're not growing up, we're not getting older, clinging on. We think if we can hold off that feeling of change, we can stop change altogether. Clearly not. We can't. As much as I'd love to say we can, we can't. And the damage that we do in the process of trying is really not worth it. Shallow living, as I mentioned a few moments ago, another risk is existing on the surface level of life. We might spend all our energy and resources changing our appearance, keeping up with fashions and fads, but never travelling very deep because we fear missing out. We fear not being a part of what it was that we once were a part of. But now maybe we've got an opportunity to move 
on from. And then stuckness is another risk. You know, if we don't embrace change as we move from season uh, to season, we might experience nostalgic blindness to the possibility of today. The possibility of today has emerged in front of us while we were looking backwards. And change isn't all bad. (laughs) The old days weren't completely better than this. And this isn't completely better than the old days. But that's not the point. The point is the past is gone and the future is all we have to impact and to affect. And the present is all we have to live in. Nostalgia is a word that has Greek roots from nostos, uh, which means to return home, and algos, which is about pain. So nostalgia is this pain that we feel in the space between where we are and a place that we might identify as home in some way. It's both geographical space and also space in time between the present and the past. It's this dreadful kind of homesickness because the home that you desire is unreachable, either because it's in the past or because it never existed in the first place. Nostalgia is driven by a feeling rather than a fact. It's not the same as reminiscing or remembering. This is why it can be dangerous. If we're unable to disentangle that feeling, We might build a belief upon false perceptions about the past and we might begin to attach a sense of magical thinking to an abstract idea. We might say things such as, if only things were like they used to be, I wouldn't be so ill, so sad. We can become fixated on this unreachable object, i.e. the good old days, and focus on destroying the thing that we perceive to be blocking us from getting there. For example, People like that. Every generation pines for the good old days, like homing pigeons lost in the sea of inevitability, where change is one of the few certainties in life. We long to go back to where we were, to make things great again, to return to normal. We can't go back. Things never were great, and normal doesn't exist. In her 2001 book, The Future of Nostalgia, Svetlana Boim pointed out a difference between restorative nostalgia and reflective nostalgia. Restorative nostalgia is driven by the belief that the past holds the key to the desire to feel happy and at home in the present, to drive to reconstruct and relive the way that you believe things were in the past. And reflective nostalgia is that sense of longing where You allow the yearning and the pining for days gone by to simmer in your mind while fully accepting those wistful memories are in the past and that's where they live, it's where they belong. Boehm says that while restorative nostalgia returns and rebuilds one's homeland with paranoic determination, reflective nostalgia fears return with the same passion. Embracing change is about honouring reflective nostalgia while rejecting the temptation to dive into restorative nostalgia. And we see this restorative nostalgia at work in so many areas of our modern world, in political and advertising messages, images, phrases, ideas that we might remember from when we were younger. And the, the world felt less chaotic and fast-paced in its rate of change. It's one of the reasons why Uh, Take Back Control saw success in the Brexit Leave campaign and why Make America Great Again has worked so many times for um, people running presidential campaigns over the years. Restorative nostalgia is driven to go back to a place that doesn't exist and as such it will listen and respond to suggestions of what might be barring us from going home. 
whether it's a certain ideology, a group of people, scapegoat, a generation, a religion, or even the very idea of change or progress itself. As Boehm says, it's paranoid, and as such it feeds off identifying enemies that are the reason for our inability to, to, to return home. Nostalgia can be a positive thing if we use it to reflect, to enjoy, to connect. There is research to suggest it can actually have really good effects. Reflective nostalgia gives us perspective on where we have come from. We can enjoy the past as we reflect on the stories that bring us together in relationships, in families, in communities, in cultures. Nostalgia, in this sense, gives us an anchor to use so that we can see how much story matters. Not so we can go back to an earlier chapter or try to remove the intervening pages between our favourite part of the book and where we are now. I mean, what would be the point in that? The next chapter is ours to write with new characters, new adventures, new moments to look back on from the future with those same kind of reflective nostalgic eyes. It's all part of that process of becoming. Embracing that change is part of healthy living. In the late 90s, there was a study in New York and Florida where researchers gave residents glasses of orange juice and participants um, unanimously preferred the brand of orange juice that they grew up with. Tropicana for New Yorkers and Minute Maid for Floridians, which is kind of crazy. (laughs) It tells us not which juice is better, but which one is remembered. Tastes of childhood are comforting. But we've got to kind of take this information and remind ourselves of of what it's really telling us. Not that the things that we prefer are better than other options or the things that other people prefer, but they they have like a, a, a personal meaning. They comfort, they soothe us as individuals. It's the same with other things like music and movies and fashion. All of those kinds of things that we might think of as like, no, my tastes are better. It's like, no, they're just more meaningful to me personally. We can enjoy nostalgia, but we must never believe it. How can we use this awareness to inform our decision-making, to embrace change in the present and in the future? The other risk that comes uh, when we don't embrace change is forever fighting. If we resist it, we might always feel like we're in a tussle with nature, needing to impose our will on it and dominate it, always under the shadow of change's cloud, of death's cloud, not realising that it is change itself that gives life meaning. When we embrace it, we can live in sync with it, moving within its rhythm. So I guess the question is, how do we actually begin to embrace this kind of change? You know, it's easy to talk about in theory, but what's it look like in practice? The first thing to say is, just because things have worked out in the way that they have so far, it doesn't mean that it will always be like this. When we embrace change, we open ourselves to its possibility. And if we employ some of these ideas that I'm about to explore, we can create conditions so that our fear of change isn't quite as strong. And when that's the case, all manner of interesting possibilities and opportunities can begin to emerge through the cracks. Firstly, gratitude. Rather than thinking of the past as something we're sad to have lost, we can view it instead as a treasure story. It's given us something. What? Let go of hoarding memories, wishing you were there. Enjoy memories as an activity in the present as much as possible. Practice holding things that meant something in the past. Practice holding them in gentle ways. 
keeping a light grip. It can take a lot of practice to do this. The idea of being grateful that it happened, even though it's no longer happening. Secondly, forget the destination. Move with the train. You know, sometimes our resistance to change comes because we feel like we're not where we're supposed to be. If we allow it, this can be a feeling that we always have because there's like this sense that we can't do, we can't be, we can't have everything that we would love in life. And as we get older, it might feel like we've wasted time because we haven't been able to do it all. But the truth is we are finite beings. We can't do it all. We can't have it all. It's important to release the idea that we're supposed to be getting somewhere as well. There's nowhere to get. We're on this this journey, this, this journey of constant becoming, as I've said. It's a bit like trying to run backwards down the train. The train is still moving forwards. It's just missing the views out the window and the fun stuff that you can do in each carriage when you're obsessively running back down the train against the flow of the movement in the belief that it's going to take you back to somewhere you can't get back to. Then reflective preparation, you know, embracing changes about being prepared for life's inevitable transitions as much as we can be. Prepared that they are coming. Expecting them to come without obsessing over the fear of how we might cope or not when they do. We do this by subscribing to the mantra that this too shall pass. This is true of the things that we want and the things that we don't want. We can rest assured that when things are bad, they won't be bad forever. Likewise, when things are good, they won't be good forever. Holding lightly, preparing what we can, letting go of the desire to hold on, to control, to hoard. This helps us release the tendency towards anticipatory grief, which is the feeling of loss for something or someone that is still there. It's still in front of you. It's still in your life. This is a phenomenon most often experienced in anticipation of the impending death of a loved one. However, it can be experienced in all sorts of ways and about all manner of things, including things like pets and holidays. Anticipatory grief can bring us to a place of gratitude for what is in front of us right now in this moment as well. There are parts of it that can teach us what is important and give us an appreciation for the present. It helps us to hold lightly to the things that we have no control over. And it rips away the tendency to take things for granted, but it can be paralyzing and can lead us to actively avoid the things that we want to do because we're afraid of eventually losing them or their eventual demise. We might find ourselves withdrawing from the important stuff over time if anticipatory grief has a strong hold in our life. I actually wrote a post about this um, oh, a number of years ago now, um, talking about how I stopped listening to one of my favourite podcasts at the time because I was um, overcome by this fear that it was it was going to end and I loved it too much. So I basically took control of the situation and removed myself from listening to it so that I wouldn't be, um, you know, bitterly disappointed if they just decided to stop it. Very weird. Um, and I received a comment on that episode from someone who was experiencing anticipatory grief uh, with the seasons. And they wrote to me, they said, over the years, I've fallen hopelessly in love with the seasons of spring and summer. And I've developed quite the opposite feelings towards fall and winter. Thus, each year around the summer solstice, 
I start to experience anticipatory grief for the loss of the long warm days. It gradually worsens as the summer wears on. So now that we are at the beginning of August, I'm feeling quite miserable and it's still summer. I still have over a month of it left, but I cannot shake the ache. And it certainly doesn't help that most stores are already promoting fall Halloween decorations. To cope, I try to remind myself of the few things I do enjoy during the colder months. And I tell myself that I will allow myself to hibernate and focus on those things when the time comes. I've been trying to live in the present and suck the life out of every moment of the past five months. But this year, the weather hasn't been cooperating and I've found myself inside more often than I expected. Do the changes of seasons affect anybody else here? This is such a interesting thing to think about. I wonder if, if that rings true for you. I'd love to hear from you if it does. Rather than focusing our gratitude on the present moment, anticipatory grief can place us as a, a slave to that nostalgia for the past or a fear of what's to come in the future. It kind of rips us away from living in the present. This kind of thing shows up in so many different ways. And finally, embracing change happens when we keep some kind of record of our lives. It's so easy to forget how far we've come, isn't it? And one of the great benefits of keeping a record, such as like a journal or something, is being able to see how much grows in a short period of time. When we don't keep track of this, we forget. You know, adaptation It's a great human curse and gift. It allows us to get comfortable with things and thrive, but it also means we quickly get comfortable with things that are less than ideal. You've probably noticed that politicians know this. They can just keep gradually sort of spiralling downwards and we sort of come to accept things, to adapt to things that, you know, take yourself 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you find out this is how things are going to be. It's like, how how do we get to that? How on earth are we going to um, kind of absorb and adapt to that big shift? Change happens whether we want it or not. It happens whether it feels like it or not as well. You can't watch your fingernails grow in real time, yet they do. It's the same with the seasons. We adapt gradually to the way life changes, forgetting often that it's not always been this way. In the UK, the seasons can be really stark in their contrast, whether it's 30 degrees and baking summer or 40 degrees this year. It feels impossible to imagine what it would be like a few months down the line come winter. But it comes around. It changes regardless of my ability to imagine that possibility, imagine that kind of potential. Profound and great transformation is affected by the smallest and seemingly insignificant of actions. And the good news is we can play a huge part in directing change in our lives by doing seemingly very small things. What would a time lapse of the past year look like in your life? I love watching time lapse videos. One of the wonderful features about um, David Attenborough's Private Life of Plants series basically shows at a comprehensive speed for humans the change that happens over a long time in nature. It might be difficult to comprehend change in our own lives because it can happen so incrementally. It's sometimes difficult to notice, a bit like walking up a hill via the slightest of inclines. It may take a very long time, but with each stride, 
you're closer to the top. And only after a long time, when you look back, you kind of realize how far it is that you've climbed. There is no time lapse for us to instantly see our own progress. We can, however, reflect and consider the different points of our journey back over the past year or so. And it can become evident and encouraging to realise that we're perhaps not as stagnant or as stationary as we might feel. Change happens, we adapt, we move with the current of our lives. And the good news is we can affect change in small and painless ways by shifting the direction that we point ever so small and subtle ways and moving in that direction in tiny, tiny ways every day. So as we finish, I really hope that this has been one of those positive episodes about an uncomfortable topic. I don't know if you found this uncomfortable. I don't know if you struggle with this. It's difficult to think about some of this stuff for many people. It's not easy to embrace change, especially when it feels like time is flying and it's it, we really have very little grip on things. But if we can begin to avoid fighting it, I think there's so much beauty to be embraced and enjoyed from life's little shifts. We're not going to be able to do that all the time, but it's something we can gently remind ourselves of, gently return to. There are things we can't stop, things we can't control. We can approach this with a spirit of gentleness, creativity, play, what changes are you resisting right now? What could happen if you allowed this to be what it needs to be? Our relationship with change has a bearing on so many aspects of our well-being. You know, we've all written scripts about embracing, instigating, absorbing change in our lives. These scripts can serve us or they can sabotage us. I've created a quiz to help you identify which aspect of change is currently having the biggest impact on your life, whether you need to embrace or instigate or absorb change happening in and around your life right now. You can find out um, or get a little bit of, raise a little bit of inner awareness around this stuff um, through this quiz that I've put together. Go to andymort.com forward slash change um, to find out more, it will redirect you to, it's basically a place in the haven where, where this quiz sits um, and you can, yeah, have a go at it and, and see what, it, see what like it, it tells you. And I've got some uh, kind of stuff there to help you kind of take steps as you figure out, okay, what does this mean for me um, and what do I need to do next? So, yeah, I want to kind of support you in that. Uh, so that's the idea around that. Okay. I'm going to go and rest my voice. Um, I've just about managed to make it through. Um, I hope you have a great rest of your day. And yeah, until next time, remember that even when it appears not to be, gentleness is always an option. Take care. I'll speak to you again soon. Bye-bye.